Welcome everyone to NFTV episode four. This week we have DJ. DJ, I'm going to ask you to pronounce your last name for me for the first time today. I want to say, I'm going to try it. I'm going to try it. Paeste? Is that right? Yeah. Yes. Uh, Paeste. Paeste. Beautiful. Beautiful. Paeste. P-A apostrophe E-S-T-E. Dope. It's very cool. Uh, we have DJ Paeste joining us today, who is an artist, a street artist, a muralist, um, a designer, a influencer, a man of, of many talents, and very cultured, well-traveled. Uh, been great getting to know him over the past couple weeks as we work on our new NFT drop for Rad, which is called The Free Radicals. And today we have him joining us to talk everything art, NFTs, and our upcoming drop for Rad NFTV. Uh, we also have our CMO, Brooklyn Eric, joining us today, and a frequent special guest, Michael Finney, MDF underscore 365, content creator, author. So DJ, my king, welcome, and thank you for joining us today. Um, as I was going through your bio and seeing everything that you've been up to for the past several years, I, the first thing that stands out to me is how much you have traveled and how far your art has taken you in the world. And I would love to get uh, in, you know, from your, from your own words, a background on yourself and a little bit about what you're up to recently, maybe where you are, and just kind of set the stage for the next hour. And welcome. Thanks again for joining. Awesome. Thank you for having me. And I'm excited to share what we've been working on and what we've been kind of creating in our little lab. Um, yeah, it's, it's been a definitely a journey. Um, I mean, I met Brooklyn um, about 11 years ago, 12 years ago in Vegas. <laughs> yep. So it's a lot of building. He's visited me multiple times in the Philippines, nice. um, where I, I most recently, uh, you know, have been living for the past 11 years as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, the art has, you know, taken care of me and I take care of the art. So I just kind of travel wherever the murals and the projects kind of take me. <laughs> awesome. Uh, you say you've been, um, you've been in the Philippines for 11 years and your bio, you have, uh, you are a Filipino American artist, muralist, and yeah. I see that you've lived in Japan, you've lived in the Philippines, you've lived in New York City. Uh, can you give yeah. us a little bit of background on like maybe how your journey into art began and, and where you got your start and, and, and maybe what your first venture out of the country was? Because as, as an artist, th that is something that I really look forward to is my art allowing me and providing me opportunities to travel. So I'd love to hear a little bit about that if you'd share it. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it was always something that I've I've been doing. I'm from a family of creatives, like musicians, artists. So I didn't really have any other path other than art. Um, and when I turned 18, I kind of basically left uh, San Jose where I grew up. I'm from the Silicon Valley, you know, San Jose Bay Area, California. And growing up around here, I mean, there's so much culture and there's so much uh, art and, you know, like, all these murals in a lot of the neighborhoods I lived in um, showing like, you know, uh, different kinds of history and Mexican culture and graffiti culture and, you know, um, the black and like Asian culture around the Bay area. It was amazing having these kind of stories be told through murals and through public art. So I just became 
so asphyxiated on that and taking these like tiny ideas in your head and putting them on the walls for people to see it, it just really struck a chord in me and I've, I've never looked back. So Amazing. I think that's the, that's the beauty in public art is that you have these spaces and these walls that usually are just buildings or neighborhoods. But when you add some art to it, it creates a whole different atmosphere and people start taking pride in the neighborhood and connect, get connected to it. It's these, you know, points of, um, you know, contact all over the city that you, know, you can just kind of get enlightened by or you get inspired by or you kind of connect to. And I, I just really found love in that and sharing that with the community and with the people wherever I go. Awesome. How does how does something like that come up? Another thing I saw uh, while I was doing some research on you is that you are currently, uh, I don't want to get this wrong, I'm, I'm paraphrasing and parroting what I read. So I want to say you were a influencer of sorts uh for like the department of the state or department of oh, maybe tourism uh, yeah so right now currently i'm working with the department of tourism in the philippines um i was a part of a, a neighborhood that kind of blossomed over the past six or seven years in uh, manila in the capital um called poblacion uh it was a kind of red light neighborhood kind of fringe kind of area that turned into this cultural hub food hub art hub and uh, it was a neighborhood I do, um, I did walking tours in. I just showed people around because there was some weird stuff there, you know. There's like, you know, there was like a bunch of like um, crazy bars, things that you wouldn't find anywhere else. And then my friends started opening up spaces and I started doing all the murals inside of them. I opened up my own space, which was a barbershop um, community space and pop-up space. And then we started that having That place like, was own... sick. Yeah, like um, I actually created... Uh, a piece for Brooklyn in there. He's got a little video. He, he never shared it with you guys. <laughs> yeah. But um, yeah, like it, it was an amazing place just, you know, to create this community, like a whole neighborhood. And the area is called Burgos, which was funny because I had just moved from Brooklyn um, in New York and, you know, everyone was in Williamsburg. So we kind of started messing around and calling it Williamsburgos. And it was like this, you know, <laughs> hipster little neighborhood in the Philippines and it just caught fire and everyone was there. Like, all the brands wanted to be there. So you'd have all these alcohol brands coming up and approaching the different artists that work there and the different places and hosting events. And it was just a gathering place within a gathering place that is Manila, you know? So it was really amazing to be a part of that. And it's a big part of like my, my, my spirit and my soul of, you know, my community out there. And that's what really kept me going. Awesome. Yeah, you seem to be super connected in the art space. I know over the past couple of weeks since we've gotten to know each other, I've plugged you in with a couple of my personal mining Brooklyn's personal friends to uh, pick up some projects that they've been, you know, put, connecting some dots with. And you've you've been a, a great conduit of connecting some of those dots. And it seems like you're really well connected globally. How did you uh, manage to to take your work to Japan, if you don't mind asking that? Yeah, so with Japan, um, I was actually doing uh, this event called Magic in Las Vegas every year. Fashion, you know, art, uh, a lot of different, you know, upcoming brands. Um, starting around 2003, 2004, I had a clothing line called Conscious Clothing with a K. And it was like, the, I started in high school. It was a lot of things that I really loved and like I, I admired about, you know, enlightenment and spirituality and cultural art that I put on shirts and I met so many different brands from around the world that would come there and display or come there and buy for their shops and a Japanese brand hit me up and I started working with them 
Um, and it brought me out there and I was there for about four or five years doing more fashion, cut and sew art. And yeah, it was, it was crazy just living out there and seeing how, you know, it, it was a culture shock, but in a very good way. And it allowed me to kind of learn and sharpen my skills and kind of elevate what I was already doing. Beautiful. You know, that's something that um, we talked with Michael Finney, MDF365, who is a speaker on the space right now as well about how he is taking um, physical IRL objects that some do exist and many do not exist. And he's trans he's translating them into the digital world for these digital experiences. And it kind of seems like, you know, you've you've been in this space for some time and your travels are have shown you a lot of the world. I'm really interested to to hear about what got you into NFTs. I know you were, once we started talking about our Free Radical project, you had already been uh, in the space and experimenting and involved with a couple different communities. Can you give us a little bit about your background um, venturing into Web3 and crypto and maybe about what you, what you see in the space right now? Yeah, I mean, it's very interesting. Uh, I mean, coming from a uh, a muralist background and doing physical art out in the out in the streets and on the walls of buildings and spaces. Um, it was a natural kind of I guess uh, transition. I, I started getting back into digital stuff. I got an iPad about a year ago and really started playing with the Procreate uh, program, and that just changed the way like I I did my art and it allowed a different way to express what I'm doing and to kind of digitize all this cultural art that I've been doing. I've been um, you know, archiving a lot of Filipino textiles and uh, like tattoo patterns and different things, you know, like I was connecting with and kind of um, uh, trying to tie into my art. And yeah, it, it's just, it's just really great to see how artists can kind of own their work again and connect with more people and have a bigger global uh, platform. And I got approached by different people um, who I knew who were kind of already in the crypto space. They were like, hey, you know, like there's this new thing called NFTs. And, you know, like you can, you can try to, you know, like transform some of your art um, into this, you know, crypto space. And I, I just got into it and I started, you know, doing projects here and there. Um, and I have some other stuff that's kind of like on the back burner as well, like uh, with a group of friends of mine from Berkeley uh, called The Goddess Project. And that's something that, you know, we'll launch eventually. But I think right now, the first project I'm really working on is the Free Radicals with you guys. Awesome. I'm excited that this is the kind of the kind of dip into the, the space that I need. And it, it allowed me to kind of get out of my own art and kind of mess around with different ideas and things that I, I love about cyberpunk culture and, you know, like like robo, robo uh, kind of robotics and stuff. And right, right. Yeah, it's, it's really cool. Like I'm looking forward to sharing this with everybody. We're pumped that. to have you King. We're very excited about the progress we've made and, and getting really close to dialed on, on the finished artwork. We shared the first piece uh, this week on the 22nd with our community and everybody was really excited about that. You know, it, you're talking about, you have your other projects and it's getting you kind of out of your comfort zone. I feel the same way. I feel like the NFT space since I joined, Last March is when I bought my first NFT from a, another independent artist that that was really what I wanted to buy. You know, I saw a lot of bigger projects, but nothing really resonated with me until it was me paying another independent artist that I actually appreciated their work and, and wanted them to to thrive and wanted my money to go somewhere that wasn't um, just a, a hype roadmap type project. It was some it was an individual that I was 
what no matter what I thought I was doing, you know, I was given I was giving them money for a piece of art that I liked, but also f- in my mind feeding them. And exactly. and and like, you know, direct payment straight to the artist and that that's been something that really inspired me in the last year has been it has gotten me out of I'm an artist myself and creative myself and that's really where most of my time and focal point has been over the past 15 years is my own art and my my own progress of things and now I'm spending so much time looking at other people's art and other people's projects and taking in so many different visuals in a perspective of I am viewing the art and judging the art and and that's something that I really haven't really done in my adult life as a as a I don't want to say a critic but as a collector and uh somebody who's really looking for things that I value as opposed to oh that's dope or you know a piece of streetwear that I buy which was most of I guess most of my uh my art purchases were you know clothing or shoe based or design based and that and that brings me to another thing you're you know you've worked with several huge brands DJ that I'm I look through your bio you've worked with some monsters you've uh, let me pull it up here you've worked with Johnny Walker, Oreo, Ray-Ban, Jägermeister, Samsung, Guess, Bacardi, New Era, and I know several other brands that you've mentioned. Uh, and you know, just I, I did X or I did Y while we've been speaking. Um, <clears throat> what have you done with any of these brands? Is there any cool stories that you'd like to tell us about, or any cool projects that uh, that you were able to to accomplish with these brands? Yeah, I mean, um, I think being in the Philippines was a whole different. Um, experience for me in the fact that I, you know, I'm a Filipino American going back and being so excited about the culture and seeing things from an outsider's point of view and kind of giving that new life and connecting with local artists that really connected and built a community together. Um, and I was doing something different that, you know, I was so used to out here that there was just graffiti everywhere and murals everywhere. So when I came there in 2011, um, there was still a big open space for public art and what we could do with it and how we could approach um, these companies and these brands and the city uh, with advocating for more spaces and more walls. And now you can't go into a place around Manila and not see it covered in murals or, you know, covered in, you know, art or, you know, brands working with local artists. Like, so it's, it's a great thing that we were, we were all able to achieve together. Um, and there are artists getting paid in their lifetime. And I think that's, you know, what you were saying about the NFTs, like you're, you're working with artists. In their lifetime. What a, what a line yeah. to add in, in their lifetime is powerful. Yeah. I mean, it's, 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 uh, you know, my brand in the Philippines is called the starving artist, you know, and that's, that's my food tours. That's like my, my murals. That's like my events because, you know, like for me, it's taking something that's negative, that's put on all these, you know, struggling creatives and you know we're starving for wall spaces for you know like attention and for connections and for these projects and now it's like happening so it's it's a good way to turn that negative into a positive um and also i don't work with a lot of galleries i only show my work conventionally and that's why i think murals and creating my own events and creating my own spaces is a different way to interact with the community with the crowds with with buyers with you know your peers and it really shows who will show up and who supports and you know who just wants to be there to be a part of it and that's that's an amazing thing when you can 
And you can kind of curate that and like kind of build that together and it's organic and it comes together naturally. Right. And I think that's what really happened in the Philippines. I was just there at the right time around the right people. And I mean, a lot of the brands that approached me, I mean, I'm not the greatest artist, you know, there are, there are amazing artists out there, but I know how to talk to people. Oh, I know yeah. how to you know, humble. You're very folks. good. King. You're very good. Very talented. Yeah. I think that's the thing with the graffiti world too. It's all about like, Oh, my name, I'm putting my name on this and I'm get up. Right. And, you know, I'm the best. And it's, I mean, it's, it's a hip hop, you know, battle mentality, like which I grew up in, you know, like always being the best. But I think for me, it was finding the right spaces, working with the right people and, having art that's connected to me and to connect to a space that means something. And that, that, that's what I did. You know, I, I, I grew it and it, it took care of me when I was out there and the art is good and people appreciated it. Right. You, you brought up a good point about the, the hip hop battle of the you know, mentality and graffiti being such a big part of hip hop. Uh, I was going to ask, is there, have you seen uh, much of a transition between 2011 and 2022 of fighting for wall space? I know my younger years when I was hanging out with a lot of graffiti artists and street artists, that was an issue that a lot of times you'd hear people complain about or, you know, even it, things would become physical, um, you know, violent even if people were painting over other people's uh, wall space and things. And that's something that, a, look how much wall space we have in the metaverse. <laughs> you know, <laughs> endless wall space, nothing to fight over here. You can go in and do whatever you want. And B, how how does that work? If is is there any insight you could give us on um, our when you guys are going out and and you're painting a mural, you're invited out to paint. Is that wall on a private building that somebody's owning and commissioning, or is it a city-owned, a public space? Is it different all the time? And how do you combat um, you know, the IRL aspect of anybody could come along any day and paint over this or tag it or whatever. Is that something that you've dealt with and how have you dealt with it in the past? Oh yeah, that's always a thing. I mean, when you're doing street art, murals, graffitis, I mean, you're putting stuff out there for the elements and for people to interact with every day. And there are some people that are, you know, are still about that, you know, graffiti life and they just got to get up. So it doesn't matter who you are or where, where you are, you know, that's something that you're going to have to deal with. And, you know, a lot of people complain and there is a differentiation between like street artists and graffiti artists. You know, a lot of the, the muralists I know are kids that went to, you know, like art school and, you know, lived a little bit of a more comfy life. And a lot of the people I grew up with, you know, like graffiti artists that I did um, hang out with in the Bay Area and even in the Philippines, like, you know, they're just trying to get up because they don't have any spaces. They don't have that platform, that that privilege of, you know, making money off their art. So they just want to get up to get that fame. And, and, and that's always going to be a part of the culture. And, and I never knock that because, you know, that's, that's the beauty. And that's what I grew up with. And some people like, are, oh, you know, it's vandalism, you know, but right, right. that's where it started from, you know, like putting your name on a wall or on a train and watching that train go across the city and, you know, like everyone knowing your name. For me... It's more about the, the the aesthetic and the style. Like sometimes I don't even sign my artwork or sign my murals. If you know my stuff, you know my stuff. That's and, awesome. You know, there's, there's different ways to connect with it, and um, I mean, it's a lot of times we are still doing, you know, like these paid and um, you know, like commission pieces. But you know, once in a while, I'll hang out with the homies and we'll do a little, you know, piece under the bridge somewhere or <laughs> meet up for a weekend right. for a little. 
I mean, th- there's nothing that's ever going to replace, you know, like banging something out quick and getting up on a wall and doing a piece that you're proud of and then dipping out, you know? <laughs> yeah, whether people see it or not. Yeah, because, you, yeah, just the creation aspect, of course. Yeah. That's very dope. Exactly. And then, you know, like, yeah. And then being on the digital space, it's something that's totally different. And doing graffiti in the metaverse, I, I, I haven't tried it yet, but I'm definitely interested in seeing um I'm, i've been seeing people with these oculus rifts and like right, i was gonna Quest. say have you done have you done and anything in like, like uh Go- and what google tilt i think is the is the popular painting no. program yeah tilt brush i've been seeing that on, on i've been seeing that on internet and it looks so crazy just to have every color at your you know disposal and every you know like tip and can like it's it's crazy i definitely want to try it so if anybody out there wants to get a mural done and wants uh, to use an artist like let me let me know i'll try it out <laughs> exactly i hear you i hear you uh so i see when i was reading through i see that your your preferred medium these days at least that's what i gathered was acrylic paints and spray cans um yeah. as as the digital world is advancing and nfts are taking off and metaverse do you see yourself transitioning to a more digital based art profile and career and is that the way things are heading or do you actually go out of your way to keep things physical and IRL? I mean, I, that's still something I'm exploring and it's, it's always going to change because, you know, my art's always going to evolve. It's always going to, you know, like be different moods or how I feel. And I think I always have to do something that's going to be physical just because that's how I connect. That's how I kind of recharge. And it's, it's, it's awesome to kind of play around with the digital stuff, though, because there's so much more um, possibilities with it rather than just doing something that's all going to be on a wall that will be temporary. But, you know, the stuff that lives on the Internet is going right. to be, you know, out there forever and everyone to see. So it's, it's accessibility, I think. And it's just the platform that makes it so global that everyone can see it all at once and it can go wherever it needs to go and connect with who it needs to connect with. So that, that, that's what I'm mostly interested in. Right, right. The uh, digital era. <laughs> yeah, definitely no borders and limitless opportunities of getting it into the hands of people. You know, that's this week we uh, we launched two new episodes on Rad. We got all of the Roads to Rome content live this week, which they just dropped their second episode. Uh, you could catch that on Rad. Uh, um, just go to our rad.live and on demand section. You can view it there as well as episode five of the deadheads nft collection and i bring that up because dj i'd like to know your thoughts as an artist and somebody who is creating characters and that has grown up in um you know you go through your instagram you see so many uh nostalgia items that are that pull me back to my early childhood of you know ninja turtles and i saw you had a shredder in there and i was like oh shit my man's drawing shredder we, we could go for days just just on the early 90s <laughs> art and as i see like these characters being created something that comes up a lot brooklyn and i've talked about it a lot and um michael on here as well as well as tony for the last several weeks we've been talking about what these ip rights really translate into in this digital space and the way this is going to evolve and I would like to know uh, any thoughts you have on IP ownership and the 
new interesting development. And Michael, Brooklyn, Tony, feel free to, Tony's not feeling well today. I don't think he'll be, he'll be joining in. So feel better, King Tony. I know you listening in. But um, anybody that's got any thoughts on, you know, us moving forward in the digital realm where everybody's throwing around IP ownership and yourself as an artist, uh, DJ, you're, you know, you're creating these things and then partnering with people to eventually give away some of this IP and let your IP go into the world. And you've already been doing that for years. And as you, you know, I scroll through your Instagram and you have all these old characters that you've done derivatives of and, and your own pieces of how, how do you view that going forward? Do you, do you view a lot, uh, a lot of friction in the space of copyright and IP as this space settles, or do you think that uh, it'll uh, be smooth sailing for artists that are creating this type of stuff? You know, and, and I'll bring up just a, a couple examples are if they are allowing, you know, they're creating content and they're creating these characters and then they're saying that the individuals that purchase them or actually have them in their wallet at the moment own the rights, they control the IP they are in fact the person that can call and um, do the accounting for whatever uh, intellectual property or monetization that comes with this piece of content or character that they own. And I just would like to know, you know, freely anybody that's listening just to what are your guys' thoughts on, on that developing and like, how do you see that playing out of we're giving away IP, but, you know, we're doing it with the, with the intent of we want to share. We want a community that cares about um, what we're creating. And to date, we haven't seen anybody abuse that. But I anticipate, and just devil's advocate, I anticipate a very bumpy road of people either taking advantage of that IP or putting it in a light that maybe as an artist you won't agree with, DJ. Or, go ahead. Yeah, I have pretty extensive ideas about the IP thing. Thanks, so, Michael, for joining us. Hey, no sweat. Um, so let's kind of contextualize a little bit of um, some of the stuff that, that I've done like with the, the Chicago 1893 project, right? So that is something that existed 130 years ago. It's intellectual property rights have expired. It is public domain in, in many uh, ways, right? The images and, um, you know, the designs of things exist as, um, you know, viable for the public to utilize. Now, I also have friends that are in the comic book space and, you know, they do conventions and things like that and they're commissioned or, you know, will do quick drawings of, you know, protected characters. And I think that that industry prior to kind of the consolidation that's happened over, the last 20 years and particularly the last 10 as Disney has picked up um, <laughs> say Marvel. Right. Yeah. Right. So like what, what's happened there is there was always, um, you know, pretty open game for those guys to do those drawings. And I don't think anybody was kind of like wanting to, to step on these smaller artists because at some point they might be picked up by these comic book companies to, to work with them. And it's just a way of them refining their craft. Um, I don't think Disney cares about, uh, you know, the comic book side of things so much as the character side of things and the worlds and experiences that they can create, uh, utilizing those characters. So they, they might not have a, 
uh, wild west mentality about kind of drawing those images and selling them for profit as a lot of people do. Uh, hopefully, you know, they don't start to like step on the necks of smaller artists. Cause that's just heinous, you know, they're just trying to do stuff. And then the other side of it is, uh, you know, I do like, I do like property rights. I think that that's an important thing. Um, yeah. you know, I yeah, wouldn't want, important, sure. yeah, you know, and, and in all kinds of senses, like I, you know, I want to be able to monetize the work that I do, but then I'm, you know, in this, I'm not, it's not a gray space that I exist in. You know what I mean? Like the, the rights are clearly defined. We have all sorts of, um, you know, mechanisms for protecting or, um, making available the content. So if you want to like put something into the creative commons that, uh, you know, even up to a character, like there are characters now, uh, the most, the earliest renditions of Mickey Mouse and Batman, you know, are now open, you know, they're, they're public domain. So there's mechanisms in place to open that up. And, um, you know, just wanted to say too, DJ, that, uh, rainbow haired uh character that i think that's the first one that rad published right yes it was yeah it was awesome that's good i love that uh good mix of like the organic stuff and then the, the kind of cyborg digital stuff in there too i feel i feel like that's kind of what a lot of us um we inhabit that space you know um so yeah i don't know you know i don't know that i think that I don't know that there's any one size fits all for everybody. I think that everybody's going to have to kind of determine like what amount of access, you know, in, in like technology security, you call that like, um, access control, you know? So like you are going to have to be very specific about how much of the rights you want to retain. I don't, I don't assume, you know, that just because I make an NFT that it, uh, allows people full rights to my content. Like you, you are merely, uh, buying a thing that is paying tribute and respect to an artist. You are not, uh, you are not then allowed to go and monetize that at will. Um, unless of course that's kind of put into the smart contract. I would say if that is, then that that's okay too. Uh, you brought up the Disney thing and that's something that's I just found out recently, I, we might have brought it up on a space a couple weeks ago, but Disney is actually taking down stuff that I, I maybe you even said this, Michael, of Loki, that or maybe it was Infinite Third that said it a couple weeks ago, but they are going after Lo, the Norse god Loki stuff that has been around, you know, thousands of years and, and Disney is striking that down as you can't be selling Loki stuff. Yeah, we, that, we own Loki. That wasn't yeah, that wasn't me that said that, but like also, yeah, I think that um the the issue there too, right, is that while they're completely wrong to do that, there is not a large enough uh contingent of people to go to bat for Loki or and lo fight it, Disney. That's how I know? feel about everything though, is right. It it even with like bored apes or whatever, there is there's not there's there hasn't been today. And we just saw, I think two or three days ago, the first, um, board ape member that was, I don't want to say scammed. We'll, we'll say scammed in air quotes, um, on open not really sure of the exact, w what this person is suing over, but they're suing open over losing their board ape. And now that's a, 
that is one of the first lawsuits we've seen from a private individual uh, trying to protect their rights as an owner. Well, in this what, yeah, that that that's a property issue, and like because right, OpenSea. Right. Um, in coordination with, you know, whatever your wallet is really like, I think that's going to be probably the, the determining factor there is like, okay, well, OpenSea and your wallet provider, you know, what sort of, um, you know, responsibility do they bear for you as somebody who is managing your private keys? And like, uh, is it going to be where, is it going to, the outcome going to be something where, um, you know, people are going to want more custodianship from these third parties for their, um, sure. for their, uh, for the assets that they've purchased, right, you know, and right. I think that that's reasonable. Um, but then again, like that's also, uh, antithetical to kind of crypto and blockchain token sure, technology too. I was bringing that up mainly because I was going to connect it to, that we haven't seen anyone protect their IP that they air quotes own yet. And that's, that's something that I really look to see, you know, how it develops. And, you know, you brought up the, the, the radical that we shared, uh, that, that DJ designed and we, we plan on extending some of the IP. We're still, uh, deliberating exactly how that's going to go for us and, and the exact wording of, of what rights we are actually giving to people. But, as people are out here making content with whatever IP they own, whether that's a deadhead or an ape or whatever it is, I, I really look, I don't want to say look forward in a good way, but I'm looking forward to a time or a, a, a case where somebody is defending their IP that they own that was issued by one of these uh, project developers or companies, whatever you want to call them. And what actually comes out in court of ownership and the way that translates to how much control do I really have over this asset and how much, how far can I, um, how, how, how big of a derivative can I make? How many extensions out from this thing? Can I change its hair? Can I change its eyes? Can I change its clothing? Can I put on all new merch? And you know, if, if you can change everything, then there is no ownership because then you could just make what everybody else has and then it becomes it's every man for himself just like anything else is so uh, so then the issue becomes kind of like one of jurisdiction um you know for the companies the content creator and the person buying that that piece and here's another thing too like i would equate people buying these things on open sea to really just buying a print and not the actual artwork so to me you know, that to me is uh, the big uh, differentiating factor. Like, so DJ's making That's gonna, physical yeah. art, right? And then he's he's photographing it or maybe like he's making a digital copy of that. But that doesn't necessarily mean that that's the original. And because of that, like when you buy a print of something from some place, you don't gain any additional monetization rights for that. When you buy that, that's anybody would laugh at you to think that, you know? So that I think is probably the precedent and that would probably be, um, you know, what would get pointed at inside of a court case. Now the thing with like open sea and this person like losing their property, you know, that, that is a, that's a, that's a property issue. That's not necessarily a, a copyright or, um, you know, uh, 
intellectual property rights issue to me, as far as I'm understanding it. Mm -hmm. DJ, you do sell prints and things. I saw uh, on your Instagram that you are selling prints. Uh, I wonder if you have any opinions on, you know, people giving away their IP and and what you've seen in the space. I know that you've been heavily involved in the NFT space for a few months now, maybe longer. But um, what do you have any thoughts on on the IP issues that we've brought up and as an artist that is selling prints and now making your own NFTs? Yeah, I mean, um, I mean, I'm definitely, you know, a part of the convention culture and the comic book and toy collecting culture. That's why, you know, I'm into doing a lot of this, uh, this kind of artwork is because I'm a fan, I'm a, I'm a creator and you're never going to not have people being inspired by things they grew up with or things uh, that, you know, they feel nostalgic about. And that's where, you know, a lot of things like deviant art and, you know, MySpace and Facebook, all, all that stuff is people sharing. Um, like Michael was saying, um, you know, at these conventions, there are people doing, you know, tons of commissioned work and doing characters they don't own. And, you know, there's a whole culture for that. So I think definitely that's never going to stop. And especially with NFTs, I think it's just a, a different way to put out, like you said, like these like digital prints or digital versions. If I was giving up a file with all the layers and, you know, like the, the uh, you know, uh, illustrated file with like super, super, you know, high resolution, then that'd be different. But if it's a NFT you're selling, you're selling a piece of artwork that they can appreciate. But I haven't really seen anyone go hard on, you know, reproducing it or trying to do all these different things with it, even though they technically own it. And as an artist, I think that's one thing I always think about when I work with brands, when I work with, you know, um, clients and I do commission work as far as logos or doing character for a book cover or an album cover for, you know, like music. Um, you know, like I always try to protect myself in that way. So I guess it is about how you do the smart contract and what you put in there and what's allowed. Um, I mean, I've been living in Asia for the past like 15 years and you see all these brands who license out and, you know, shell out their IPs and brands like, you know, um, what is that? Uh, like Dickies or, you know, um, like, uh, what was that big one? Ed Hardy, you know, that's a idea of giving your IP to someone and having them just run to the wall with it. <laughs> You know, right. Don Ed Hardy gave his, uh, you know, like art to Christian Alger and like that guy just went crazy with it. He put it on like juice boxes, on <laughs> perfume. On, you know, it, it got crazy in Asia because in Asia, like giving away your IP or doing licensing is a whole different beast. Was People this post of uh, uh, Ed Hardy's big run in the States or is this is this what caused the big run in the States? It was it was a little bit after, too. I mean, I feel like it, the Asian markets like in, you know, like. Um, China, Vietnam, Philippines, Thailand, there's a lot of secondary stuff and, and also um, aftermarket stuff that gets sold from these uh, licensing deals and they end up in, you know, like local markets or, uh, you know, like these um, kind of uh, bootleg markets and stuff too as well. So you have all this stuff and, and some of it's actually in the mall. They have like full on, you know, like shops for some of these brands that you would never see these products of those brands in America or wherever they, these brands came from. But in Asia, they have these, you know, licensed brands and that they sell like pretty much everything under the sun. And because they have that IP, they're just, you know, grinding it to like the last, the last uh, speck is left. Right. So Get all the juice out. Are, <laughs> yeah, a lot of possibilities, but it's like, do these people that are buying your stuff, are they really looking at it as, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to invest in this NFT and I'm going to make all this money off of it, you know, or is it, I appreciate it. I want to support this artist. 
there's always like you know two sides to that and i think as an artist what i put out it's just also creating with responsibility and also knowing where the art's going or you know what you're putting it out there for like i know with the nfts there's possibilities so i'm going to create a bunch of stuff that i feel like you know what if it's out there it's out there and if people want to do what they want with it they, they can but at the same time you know i still have my art i can still create other stuff and you know it's it's how you value it and how you how you protect it but I think oh, you yeah. Know. <laughs> you know what I was going to say too, like what what with what you just said in terms of like you can create new stuff. You know that's the thing too. Uh, a lot of a lot of this very popular IP and these characters have been getting snagged up, and it seems like they dominate the space. I mean, everything has Star Wars slapped on it. Everything has uh, Marvel characters on it. Um, you know, and and Disney princesses, and I would say. You know, there's literally nothing inhibiting anyone from just coming up with new ideas and, you know, pushing that and then, you know, being able to attach, you know, their style to it and being able to generate a brand new world for it. I would say in, in to draw back to like the comic book space, right? Um, you know, Todd McFarlane in the 90s did that pretty well with Spawn in terms of just kind of turning the corner on that and being True. able to. True. Good point you know, build up his, his, his IP and, and make a successful run at, um, you know, making movies and then also being able to work with other, uh, larger established entities. And, um, you know, yeah, I think there's a lot of consolidation, but that doesn't mean that you have to play that game if you, if you don't want to. You, you brought up a, you brought up a jurisdiction thing, Michael, that really got me interested. And it's something I haven't really thought about too much. And I'm not sure how this slipped past me, but it's really interesting that we have people issuing IP rights in X territory or even dev groups coming together from all corners of the world that may be saying we are delivering rights to our community through X place. I wonder right. where that jurisdiction is tied to if it's if it's tied to where the smart contract was published and because you're not I, I don't know how we will be consolidating jurisdictional rights to art projects that are coming together from that five six different areas of the world and everybody input everybody came together and if there's so, not an underlying I don't company, think it matters that the people are coming from all over the world I think it matters where they are distributing to because that's where the jurisdiction aspect comes up, right? That's the lens through which like okay. the interpretation is focused. So the, the U S let, let's say like DVDs, right. And, and you could even go back a little bit further with television, right? What you had, uh, NTSC and the PAL system in Europe, right? Those are distribution, um, in, in a very like broad sense, distribution protocol technologies, right. And how you're encoding the image for a screen, so then let's go back to let's go back to the first thing I was talking about, like DVDs, right? So they have region encoding. That's a distribution protocol issue, right? And then um, you know, you can be more granular at the national level where they say these are our laws. So DJ was talking about China there. The reason why you see those things happening is because they don't have uh, you know, the same intellectual property protection rights as other places. So um, I, I would be speculative and <laughs> curious to know if, 
if those were officially endorsed and licensed operations. Because I know, like, when I was in China, I would see, like, like a Microsoft Windows phone running, like, iOS 10, and that was, like, 10 years ago. You know, so like the, this was not even a, a viable thing, and like they just they just slap iconography and labels on things, and they don't care because they don't have to care. And there's no um, there's no like protectionary mechanisms to even say like, no, you can't do that here. It's what do you mean you can't do that here? Uh, there's no there's no punishment for it. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's really funny that you bring that up because living in Asia, I find the funniest like bootleg items, and there's a whole like like a culture and like subculture for this, and people that collect these items, like the toys that are so like off. A collectors, collectors of bootlegs. Yeah. (laughs) Or like just like, you know, shoes, shoes that'll never come out that, you know, like are dropped in the markets where it's like, you know, Krispy Kreme, Louis Vuitton, and Nike. DJ, what's the name of that one place we went to outside of Green something? Green Hills. That is exactly what I'm talking about. It's like 10 story, like 10 million square foot mall of all bootleg stuff. Wow. And how is and this is just a functional thing. This is no problem. Nobody cares. There's no no. I mean, they, they get raided just for show once in a while. It's like you get your DVDs there, your electronics fix. These guys are all like Apple geniuses, and they can they can add like more more memory on your Apple phone if you want, which is like unheard of. <laughs> but you know, like they can just it's it's a spot where you can get pretty much anything you need from clothes to electronics to toys to you know, whatever's out there. And it's just bootleg mall and it's where everyone shops. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a different culture out there, but yeah, like you just see stuff that you're like, I didn't know this brand worked with this brand. Like, oh yeah, no, it's not. That's not real. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder, you know, if Michael, you brought up where you're distributing to, does that mean that you, then I'm not asking, I'm not saying that you're a, uh, authority on this so don't don't think i'm asking i'm not i'm I'm (laughs) I'm not i'm I'm not putting that weight on you but i'm just asking your opinion on do you are are you thinking once they distribute to open sea that that is where the jurisdiction is held and then if if somebody challenged this um what court would be hearing this any any court that was paid to hear it and uh no okay so i would say like uh, OpenSea is going to be th- their corporation or whatever the style of entity that they are is going to be based in some nation. They are going to they are going to have their paperwork filed somewhere, right? And they may in fact like have it filed in multiple locations. Um, you know, a lot of companies do that. Uh, you know, for various reasons. Like I would even kind of point at like the tax holiday that Apple experienced, um, you know, at the beginning of the Trump administration when they brought in like their quarter trillion dollars of money from Ireland, right? So they had a company there that was kind of like holding that money. So was that cash, right? That was their cash. Right, part. right, right. So, you know, OpenSea, I don't know where they exist. I don't know, you know, what jurisdiction they would like be pointing at for for protections or to be able to like, you know, be able to say like, oh, well, we're, 
we're going to be able to evade these issues because that's just not something that we're concerned with. Now, then the artist, right, then they're going to be based somewhere and they're going to say, well, these are my rights according to, you know, like where I'm from and I created these things here. And and that's kind of like the the rails that I exist within. And then the consumer is going to say, well, I exist here and these are the rails that I exist within and these are my expectations. And like, uh, you know, that's they I feel may, like none of these rails connect yet. Like the only place we're connecting is the metaverse. So, right. And I mean, there's no they're court not, here. They're not made there. to. Right. They're not right. made okay. to. You know, um, they, you want, you want this larger dialogue and it means that like, uh, you know, then you can, you can say, okay, well, I don't want to deal with artists or, uh, you know, uh, what are these like the markets that deal these arts unless they are within this jurisdiction, both the artist and the company oh, need to be based in my jurisdiction so that all of the rights line up the way that I anticipate that they will. Right. And that's a fair thing to want. Seems so messy. You know, and well, here's the thing in the United States, right. Is the kind of like, like top tier, um, top shelf, uh, protector of intellectual property. It is the international standard by which other, uh, company by most companies operating when they have to do their due diligence, they are looking at the United States market and laws as the, as the kind of like standard that they need to operate at. Now they don't have to operate at that level uh, across the world, but to serve this market, they do. And so when you know when they're kind of like paying attention to that they're going to say okay that's my first line and then like maybe europe is my next line and then you know japan and and down the line from that it just seems like somebody could spend and i guess what you guys are saying is it, it this is what's happening and it doesn't matter is that somebody could spend all their money making tony the tiger with a bored ape and then they fly to china and they find out that they're Tony the Tiger Board Ape is a porn star or whatever he's doing or a rap star or a VTuber or whatever it is. And that same IP has been used in some other in some other form. And then it becomes the owner that feels they have been infringed upon. I guess it's up to them to do any of the legwork because nobody cares unless it's you that cares. So unless there's real money there to to be claimed by doing the legwork and putting that energy into whatever system that needs to be. I guess there's really not much of a conversation to be had until that is the case, actually. Well, this week we had a great week um, with Rad NFTV. We've got you know a lot of stuff going on in the world, and we've still been plugging along this week. We've got some great developments uh, with the, the Free Radicals. We've got great developments with our biggest rapper alive, NFT, coming here in the next couple weeks. And um, everybody's still recovering from ETH Denver. We've got South by Southwest coming up here in two weeks. That seems like that is going to be a very NFT-heavy event, maybe, maybe the heaviest so far. I'm interested to see if there are any uh, new additions to the space as music and so many different areas of culture will be colliding in Austin in a couple of weeks. And maybe if, if I were, if I were prepared to drop something, Matt just dropped off, but I would say that 
that we might see a couple music videos with uh, this IP being used or some type of uh, new content. I know Brooklyn is talking closely with the Claylings. Uh, they're getting ready to drop some content. Brooklyn, now that we got you here, actually, let's. Uh, what are you thinking about your Super Bowl NFT? I asked you last week, and I think uh, Kyle ended up answering a second question that I asked before you got a chance to speak. Has there been any development around that? Is there any value on that? Is there any anybody even talking about them two weeks out, or are they just a keepsake that nobody really cares about? Yeah, I mean, it's equal parts cool and super whack in my opinion yeah <laughs> um they were they were kind of promising like if you read the description before the super bowl it was like everyone that goes to the super bowl gets um uh one of one nft um that you know will represent your seat and this and that and they're all pretty much like exactly the same there's like it just looks like a digital ticket there wasn't any like crazy art right um so um but I, I I heard that a lot of them were unclaimed, obviously. Um, the the claim process was pretty interesting. You just did it like right in your email and you didn't like, it's not like connecting your MetaMask or anything like that. It was just all done straight through the flow blockchain. Um, did you have to have a Dapper and, account or any other account? No. Oh, wow. Mm -mm. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I think uh, it, it could have been could have been better i was expecting it to be a bit better um but still cool nonetheless kind of you know first super bowl to do something with nfts so well fire um, you got to go to the super bowl and you got the first nft super bowl ticket i mean that that's a pretty cool keepsake mm -hmm. was it uh what did you feel like while you were in la did it feel did it feel like there was an NFT presence there other than Fluff House or was it pretty much just a normal Super Bowl weekend? Did you see anything that was like, oh, NFTs are in L.A. right now or was that something you had to look for? No, I, uh, I ran into a ton of different people in the NFT space just from having, um, you know, I had like uh, my, my bored ape on um, or my mutant ape, excuse me, on, on the background of my phone and that drummed up probably a dozen conversations wow, and interesting. um you know just like out at dinners randomly and someone would be like oh you got an ape check this out here's my punk i think i was showing you that dude sitting yep. next to me at a busted his watch out and stuff too. busted his watch out <laughs> yeah. and I was like here's two of my punks like cool thanks for stunting on me you buying dinner <laughs> exactly. um, um but yeah i mean it was definitely a big presence fluff house is cool um I think you're right that uh, South by there's going to be a big presence um, NFT wise. Uh, and then even just, you know, Tony and I were talking the other day about how many uh, ETH events are popping up all over all the world the now that, yeah, that things are opening back up. And so, um, you know, I think we'll be traveling to quite a few of those for, for the rest of this year. And um yeah, good to see. Uh, good to see events coming back, and I think all of them will have a, a pretty heavy NFT focus um, for the rest of this year, for sure. Dope. Thanks for sharing. Um, I, as I watched the the NFL week unfold, I felt like just watching it that there was, it's like NFTs are grabbing on to everything that they can, literally any industry, anywhere they can. They're finding a way in, whether it's through an artist owning them or uh, and taking it to somebody or an athlete ends up owning them and now they're on a team. And I, like the, 
I saw right after the Super Bowl, people were tweeting, I forget the guy's name that won, but they're saying ex-ape owner wins their first Super Bowl ring. And, you know, that immediately injects a entire community of fans, even if they're fans only in, you know, in a very casual way, they're much more inclined to like hit that like button or hit that retweet button for that it that pump of their bags, if you will. And that's I keep seeing all these so many outlets, the biggest outlets in the world are constantly writing about NFTs now. It almost looks like a cheat code of sorts. If you want clicks or you want community engagement, all you have to do is have a big enough uh, outlet name and then make some article about NFTs and you're going to be talked about today. And I think I, I can't really tell if that's a, a trend that's starting to really hold weight or if it is just like the leech mentality of they're really just going for uh, the quickest, highest engagement they can. And since we're all digital natives or deep, deep as in the spaces we can get, that's just what they're gravitating to because it's easy. It could be a little bit of both, right? Of in course. the sense sure, that sure. they look at it as a way to, um, you know, grab attention and move eyeballs. But then the other side of that too is, um, if you're a merchandiser or, you know, anybody with a brand, you're saying like, how do I extract dollars from these things? Right. And if people are basically like they're saying, okay, well, how do I take advantage of what appears to be a freemium model for them in the sense of like, Oh, well, we have content or we have an existing brand. We have people that are very, you know, passionate about our brand and they could potentially be, you know, whales about our brand. They build shrines to our brand in their home and like they could build shrines to our brand in their meta mask wallet or, you know, on their open sea account or inside of their galleries, you know, their digital galleries and stuff like that that you're seeing now too. So like anywhere that they can permeate and gain and grow mind share in these ways, like it's, it's, it's marketing budget to them. I would say it's not even necessarily like it's, is it product? Yeah. It's, it's kind of product. Is it marketing? Yeah. It's definitely marketing. And like by that sense, like it's, it's a great way to extend into these places or it, it's a great way to extend what they already have in terms of brand reach and, um, you know, at what is relatively low cost and, low risk in general because like they know that their intellectual property rights are not going to be superseded by doing these things because they have lawyers and and you know uh they exist within these jurisdictions they know that and um you know to be able to allow people to kind of like you know shine on themselves a little bit by by having these possessing these digital items these tokens inside of their spaces or whatever like it it's it's absolutely no loss to them you know it's 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 another in a way you know it's 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 like the next phase of influencer marketing i would say i agree something else i've been thinking about since last week when we spoke michael and when kyle brought up he brought up a line it's either last week or the week before but he said anyone who purchased any land in the metaverse has easily 5x in the past year and 
that really kind of hit me and I've been thinking about it for the last couple weeks, but it's interesting to me that people FOMO'd into the earliest land in the metaverse when I think metaverse land will be the easiest thing to obtain ever. And yeah. I look at it and think it's lit every person's going to have their own. I've had an orbit planet for four years right. or something. Right. I don't even think I've ever spun the key up. And yeah. it's I, all land. It's Can't all, it's everything is land. Everything in the metaverse is land. And anytime, like you can even call every open sea has infinite blank pages that they could spin up and that's land. And, right. and we could, we could call it all land. So I just, it's really interesting to me that people are like, oh, you need to own this land. And then it's going for so much money. And it's, to me, it's after reading Ready Player One, it seems to me that there's going to literally be, there will be hundreds of Decentralands. And then if somebody gets mad enough, like Vitalik did when he created Ethereum, they'll just create another Decentraland and copy everything. You know, if you piss somebody off enough, they'll just go do, do whatever it takes to, right. to go do, you know, to invalidate your claim or whatever it is. So it's like, so here's the interesting part of that too, right? Is that like what you're saying in terms of them creating these digital, digital twins, not even digital twins, which is like a reference to um, replicating real things digitally. Now you're going to have like digital, digital twins, so right. digital squared. Right. <laughs> and then, so here's, here's my new perspective on like metaverse. Right. And I tweeted about this maybe yesterday or the day before or something is that like the open metaverse is not going to be, you know, one place where everybody joins in like the Neil Stevenson snow crash model of open web, like open metaverse. It's going to be the other way. And that my intellectual property rights I know are protected within, you know, jurisdictions. So as long as I'm doing my due diligence about where, which silos I want to participate in, I'm going to be able to distribute my content into all of those uh, walled gardens, right? So in, in that way, the entire metaverse is open to me as a content producer, but that doesn't mean that the open, you know, that the, the that metaverse is open, is open yeah, right, to buckets. all consumers. Yeah. I can know, drop the sense. bucket anywhere. I can drop it in any bucket, but consumers have to choose which stores they're shopping in, I guess. Right. So then it's going to become basically like it, it's going to be an extension of, you know, the, the same kind of like um, – verticals that we already see in terms of technology with apple or like android or microsoft and microsoft again like this is a i i am very interested in what they've been doing lately because i've been paying kind of uh more attention to them over the last couple of years as a person who's not a microsoft user or windows user or xbox player but uh you know to kind of go down the the rabbit hole here when they had bought LinkedIn, I was like, oh, that's really interesting because they are a software producing company who is distributing these licenses. And now they have LinkedIn, which is essentially a headhunting, uh, you know, social network. And then LinkedIn previously had purchased Linda, which is a skills development platform tied into LinkedIn. And then, uh, you know, the next one after that was Microsoft picked up GitHub, right? And then, so now you have this entire, this entire like um, skills development, skills kind of um, distribution or kind of proof of work platform, which is GitHub. And then also the 
headhunting mechanism of LinkedIn. So it's like if you want to be if you want to be like assured and be able to verify that your Microsoft engineer or software developer or whatever is is Microsoft affirmed, you know, like they have that entire silo developed for that for themselves now. And they can basically uh, delineate anybody else out of that. Like, oh, you did this for Apple or you did stuff for Google. Well, who cares? Because this is, you know, inside of the LinkedIn vertical, you don't really matter because that's not what we're going to be pushing in terms of advertising or uh, skills promotion. Now, here's the next thing that's really, really interesting that it, they've, that's that an they've interesting done. Attack vector. You're right. Right. Yeah, for sure. And then, like, the next thing that they did is with, like, they have been gathering up all of this gaming IP over the last, like, what, 10 years or so? And capped with in Call regards, of Duty, yeah. Yeah, in, in regards to, like, Xbox and stuff. And now, I would say, like, the number one IP battler against Disney, I would have to say it is probably going to become and look like Microsoft because gaming is... Um, you know, perhaps like, um, you know, it sounds cliche now, but it, it is a frontier, you know? Oh yeah. And just getting started. I, yeah. I would right. absolutely agree with that. Um, you know, Michael, uh, oh, go ahead. Add, yeah. Let me just add two things you didn't mention that I've also, I've been watching Microsoft closely in the LinkedIn purchase. They also got a lot of physical real estate in Silicon Valley, which is basically mm-hmm. impossible oh, wow. to, wow. yeah, impossible. Right, right, yeah, that was a major component of it. That they weren't able to to get it off the market. Um, they had to buy an existing existing firm that had a campus, and then also uh, amidst the LinkedIn and GitHub purchase, they also purchased Minecraft. Right, and so Microsoft. Well, that was a long uh, time so ago, both, right? Both digital and real world, both metaverse and real world real estate. On top of all of that. So they could definitely make some interesting plays in the next five to ten years by using as you're as you're talking about different pieces of that in different strategic ways. Yeah, no, I, I, I the Mike the Minecraft purchase was like the the first one that it was like this is really wild. They paid a lot of money for that. I think two billion at the time, and everybody was like, "Why would you pay so much for that?" And like as a person who grew up playing with Legos, like I was like, "Well, yeah, it makes sense." I missed out on Minecraft because I was like in college or whatever. But you know, I watched other people that I knew and their kids like loving it, and I was like, "If I was your age, I would absolutely be doing this." You know, so it kind of made sense to me in, in that way. But then as you start to watch them like buying up all these other little pe- pieces. Um, yeah, <laughs> like they are definitely, I believe, the number one contender against in soon, you know, maybe this decade, the number one contender for like creating these intellectual property ecosystems against Disney. Yeah, in, in my opinion. Interesting how small the world is is getting these days and especially with the, the current the current news going around it's been very apparent how connected we all are and how intertwined all of our communities are based on just anybody's twitter feed i mean you guys are all here and you guys are all seeing the same things i am and like people i interact with regularly are fleeing ukraine and we have people we work closely with from rad that are that are in the area and that is as we're seeing all of these things converge, it's very interesting how I remember in college, I was really the first time I learned that there were 
you know, these monster corporations like Vivendi and these companies that most people don't even know exist that are the top-down cap of the silo that own all these things. And now it's much more apparent with a household name like Microsoft and how much they are purchasing. But then you're bringing up the fact, Kev, that they are making IRL purchases um, that appear to the common person that they may be a, a metaverse play or strictly a software play. But in fact, that software play on for the headline is in fact an IRL play to buy physical land of this. It seems like we're already to the place we all anticipate where we're going. It's just not everybody is fully experiencing that reality yet of Microsoft is pulling the strings of, oh, we buy this chunk of, of physical land by making this software buy and because it's in the silo of ownership. And then, you know, that's, that has such huge implications. You're talking about 10 years down the line and we're talking Roblox, Minecraft, LinkedIn, and what type of advertising that allows. And you're saying they're, they could minimize whatever other skill stack, uh, that is a competing, uh, that that's competing in any way. So if you're, if you're not advancing that system as everybody is headhunting on LinkedIn, which is where everybody I know in, in tech is, is based pretty much is on LinkedIn, then how do you compete other than spinning up your own entire platform and hoping that somebody joins this, let's call it a world or a metaverse or leaves whatever ecosystem that they're currently in. But it, it would take a lot to get me, you know, just yesterday, uh, it's a pretty interesting development. And for me, I just realized that Twitch, which is a Twitter competitor on the BSV network. I don't know when they rolled this out, but not, not too long ago, I would say I, I don't usually miss uh, the new features by that much, but they rolled out the ability to tweet from Twitch to Twitter with a clean tweet with no link back to Twitch. And you would think that that's a, maybe a misstep in, in the strategy of why would you let me bypass that advertising potential on every tweet that I'm posting. But in my mind, it, the reverse is true. I am much more likely to use it because I can a embed it into a chain and just send the clean tweet. Even if I lose a little functionality on Twitter, at least I'm assured that my data is safe forever. The tweet that I posted cannot be taken down. My account can't be deleted or banned or restricted in any way because you have to, it's a, the opt-in on-chain following. So it's, it's really a, an interesting development that I'm seeing of the interoperability is like almost the next attack vector. And that, you know, I, I'm something that we brought up a couple of times over the last couple of weeks on calls and, and on these chats is, you know, everybody's saying layer one, layer two. One of my biggest complaints is, is how, uh, extended out somebody has to be or how, how skilled somebody has to be, how much they have to know about the space to even get on the polygon. Like you're not going to bring in somebody on their first day and get them in the polygon. Like that's just not what's going to happen. They'll be like, what? I got to get, I thought I already had ETH. What's wrapped ETH? And now we got to go through this whole 
educational, you know, piece to, to get them into that ecosystem when there's companies like the wormhole out here that are saying they're a layer zero and that you don't even need to think about what chain you're on anymore because they have rendered all chains one chain by being able to connect them and move an asset from one place to another. I'm not technical enough to know how that works, but that is to me, it's kind of where we are headed where one company or one developer can create a tool that either renders 10 tools useless or, or renders them all one. And I'm not sure how that develops or how that really adds super value. But as I see Microsoft building their entire vertical and making it more and more difficult to compete, there is this other end of you could just make the one tool that rugs their competition leverage. And I'm not sure like I'm even asking for feedback from anybody here if anybody would like to add anything to that but it's just a really interesting time of one person with the right idea and skill set can really change so much in this space in a time where we're looking for decentralization and there seems to be so much centralization occurring and more and more and more and more weight added to that centralization just seems as if we're yelling decentralization and things are getting more centralized and easier to use. <laughs> um, well, we've been on here for about an hour now. Does anybody have any questions for the rad team? We have Kevin Faborg, who's our head of product. We have our CEO who's here listening in John Anthony. We have our head of marketing, our CMO, Brooklyn, Eric head of data, uh, Prasant and, um, our head of content. We have Matt Collado on here as well. If anybody has any uh, questions for them, as well as our, our artist, DJ Paeste. I think I said it right, DJ Paeste. Uh, if anybody has any questions, feel free to ask them. If not, then maybe we can wrap it up for the week. I uh, appreciate you all joining us today. I'm really enjoying these spaces. They're a lot of fun. Michael, thanks for checking in again. You're a great speaker and a great guest to have. You're uh, entertaining and very knowledgeable about so many different areas. Thanks for joining us again today. And King DJ, thank you for your time and all your contributions, sir. We're really looking forward to seeing how the free radicals develop and looking forward to sharing more art with our community as we get closer to launch. So we're not going to give uh, too much information today on the free radicals, but we are, um, I'll give you a little little tidbit. We are, what time is it? It's 1.20. So we've got about 40 minutes left on the Rad Panda collection live on OpenSea. OpenSea is migrating their contract today, so all listings that are not migrated will be canceled, and we are going to let the pandas go with that. You will not be able to mint a panda after 2 p.m. today. So if you'd like to get a rad panda, uh, you can go to our bio and Twitter, click on the Rad Panda Club, and you'll see the official links to take you over to OpenSea. Rad Panda is the first NFT from Rad. It is a lifetime subscription to Rad NFTV, which is normally a $5 a month premium subscription, which allows sideloading to PlayStation, PSVR. You can watch any content you own on your own PlayStation. Pretty pretty dope feature if, if you're a PlayStation user. Um, 
Also, there's our rewards baked into that and a whole lot of other stuff that uh, we have in the in the works right now that I'm sure Tony would be happy to hype up if he would I got a question the... about that. Go ahead, King. Ask away. So if you get this panda and there's already been stuff distributed, how do you get access to those things? Uh, well, or the, is that not possible? The the only thing that have been distributed to panda owners as a uh, reward or a uh, reciprocity of owning the panda is your availability to claim Aura tokens on our app.rad.live platform. So if you own a panda and it's in your Ethereum wallet, you can go to app.rad.live, uh, connect your wallet, and then once your wallet's connected, you'll see, you can navigate to your NFT page, and then you'll see your NFT panda that you own, and it'll have a claim button. You're able to claim those rewards. That's how you claim the R rewards. To unlock your premium subscription, you simply go to uh, rad.live, and you connect your wallet, create your account and connect your wallet, and once you connect your wallet, your lifetime premium subscription is unlocked across apps, which is uh, iOS, so that's iPhone, iPad, Android TV, Google TV, PS4, PS5, PSVR, and Oculus. And that's unlocks all of our premium content and all of our premium content that we'll be adding in the future. And um, you'll also be added to our whitelist for free radicals. And Tony's got a lot of cool ideas for rewards that will be uh, given rewards and perks to people that own just pandas and then people that own pandas and a free radical will be pretty much the peak of the rad community if you own both of those you will be the the cornerstone members of our community and and reap all benefits that are offered to anyone so that's where we are right now without giving too much information um but yeah, that'll and end all of that at 2 p.m. Um, Go all ahead, all of that works beyond <clears throat> OpenSea's transition this afternoon. Uh, the only change, the only change is that you can't mint. Uh, there, there will be no more pandas minted. Right after at, after another 40 minutes, everything everything that that Cam described that you can do with your panda, none of that happens on OpenSea. That's all you know on the blockchain itself or on our platforms, and so that continues. Does that answer your question, King Michael? Yeah, maybe. Um, yeah, I think so. If you know, not, feel free to ask ask another way. If 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 that's not what you were asking. Uh, no, I I, I th everything that you guys said is clear. Basically, it's just my um, I don't I don't know anything. You know. <laughs> <laughs> well, the pandas aren't disappearing. It's just the rest of the collection. So, out of the ten thousand, there's already been two hundred minted, which have been pulled out of the contract. So, there are nine thousand eight hundred left. And those nine thousand eight hundred will no longer be available to be minted. They will be there will be no access to them at two o'clock today. Wild. Uh, so yeah, that part makes sense. Um, I guess in terms of like claiming stuff within Rad, that is the part I'm not. I don't. I don't understand. Oh sure, yeah. Yeah, so we just um, we're building an NFT marketplace ourselves on. Mm -hmm on rad.live it's on app.rad.live you can check it out now and and so the things that you can do there like right now you can you can list an nft for sale and then somebody else can buy it and we're adding additional kind of marketplace functionality on top of that and it's kind of coming out incrementally week by week these weeks right now but um additionally for a few collections and the first that we've ever done 
is our is our own is rad pandas. You can also claim a token reward. And so a panda, uh, if there's a panda in your wallet and you connect your wallet to app.rad.live, then there'll be a claim button and each panda can claim 50,000 ARA tokens uh, a single time um, once per that, that numbered panda. Mm. Um, and yeah, and so that's all that is. Uh, oh, yeah. But it, that is a little bit different because that's kind of that's kind of an invention of our own, um, and and we've got some ideas about cool ways to use that capability in the future with other third party or partnered collections and other and even other tokens potentially. Um, but that's that's just kind of like our first use of that feature. Very cool. Yeah, dig it. Kev, while we got you talking. Anything you'd like to give on development updates or anywhere you'd like to direct anyone? Um, uh, that was basically what I, yeah, no, yeah, not I felt honest. like you were close. Yeah, yeah, you got it. You did yeah, it. Yeah. You already did it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> well, or I can say this, I can tease this, um, Please. that, uh, DJ, we are we're, we've been, we're in the same discord group, but we haven't chatted directly. Something, something else that we've developed, at, at Rad within Aura is uh, is a very special script that assigns and randomizes attributes for NFT collections. We've used it only once before, last October, and so I'm excited to to show you that script and actually get it running on your box. And it can do things that I think a lot of collections currently out there, from looking at them, can't do. It, it can do very complex requirements related to rarity like you can not just set the you you can you can say like this should only happen three percent of the time you can also say this should only happen three times and then there's also a lot of controls very granular controls for which attributes require which other attributes so even with board apes there are these weird these are these kind of like stupid errors where it's like floating eyeballs are still underneath the brim of a hat. It doesn't make sense. You know, you, you can, you can fix avoid and avoid those sorts of problems, but then also I think it's going to enable kind of a new level of creativity. Uh, so excited to, to show you that and, and show you the, the, the levers. And uh, that's another thing. First and foremost, your fantastic art, but that's another thing that is going to make free radicals very, very, very special fun thanks for sharing adam thank you for joining today king excited to see how we can play with that and yeah yeah totally slick thank you for joining as well brother anybody else have anything before we wrap up today thanks again for your questions michael all right Well, thank you all for tuning in to another episode of NFTV. Four weeks, having a lot of fun doing this. I look forward to it every Friday. I start looking forward to it at the beginning of the week. So, uh, Adam, maybe next week you'll join a little earlier and uh, we can hear from you next week. And you too, Slick. Uh, Thank you guys for joining. Thanks for all your great questions. Uh, Shout out to our artist of Free Radicals, DJ Paesta. Wonderful artist, street artist check him out he's on twitter and instagram at dj spelled out d-e-e-j-a-e-4-0-8 and it's the same on both platforms 
Uh, he's got a YouTube channel with a bunch of cool videos on it as well that show his process and some great shorts that I checked out this morning that are really well produced and beautiful art. Um, that's it. I think that's it today. Thank you all very much. I hope you had a great week. Uh, stay safe. Stay positive. And we'll see you next week, everyone. Have a great weekend. Thanks for tuning in.